You are listening to the Treasuring Christ Church podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. Good morning, everybody. Now, if you're from my church, the answer is no. When you ask me, can we get chairs like this? <laughs> so before we even get started, it ain't going to happen. It is really good to be back. Treasuring Christ Church, it's been a few years. So grateful that you guys have persevered through some challenges with the pandemic and logistics and everything. God appears to be faithful and remain faithful to you. So good to be back and in partnership with the gospel with some new friends that I'm meeting as well. Thank you for serving this wonderful church. If you're from Kansas, Ontario, other places, Roanoke, it's uh, it's great to be together in the gospel and see what God is doing here. Always good for Kay and I to be back in Michigan. We grew up here and we love this state and our heart is for churches and church planning to take place here in the Great Lakes state. And so uh, we look forward to this church not only growing and developing, but but uh, soon multiplying itself and continuing to do so. I'm a Tiger fan, and, and I, I can't admit that. Hard to at times. And we went to the game last night, and it seems like the Tigers are the bad news bears of baseball these days. And, Beautiful stadium and, and beautiful night and, and not so good baseball until the bottom of the eighth inning. And in the bottom of the eighth inning, Tigers are down eight to one, which has been typical these days, but they scored with two outs and then they scored again. And I started to get excited and I even went rally caps and they scored again and they scored again. And, and for a brief moment in my mind, I thought they can win this. <laughs> And, and there, was this, there was this moment of belief that I had. And there's still an inning left. And, and then ninth inning, they're up and, and there's an out. And, and my, my faith failed. And I turned to my wife and I said, let's go. Let's beat the track. <laughs> For a moment I believed. And then there was unbelief. And that's, that's, that's what I want to talk about this morning from Mark chapter 9. You see, there are, there are a few words that are so essential for us as Christians. There's a, there's a few choice words that really capture our faith. Words like grace, love, holiness, redemption. These, these words they just capture the essence of, of what Christianity is. For the last several years, the one word that keeps coming back to me is the word believe. What does it mean to believe? And, and then not only what does it mean to believe, but, but to do an honest evaluation of how much I don't believe. See, see here's, here's the important truth of you today. You are a mixture of believing and not believing. You are. You are. All of us are. You don't believe like Jesus. You may want to. But there is both 
a matter of believing and not believing that we deal with every day of our lives. And the truth of that really defines why you think and feel and do what you do. Your belief drives your thoughts, your affections, and your actions, but so does your disbelief. Your unbelief also drives what you think, how you feel, and what you do. And so the point is that, that as Christians, we should regularly not just confess our belief, but also confess to God our unbelief. And then we should seek God in prayer, asking his help that we might believe more and more each and every day. Mark 9 is a passage that has helped me with this as much as any passage in the Bible. And it has tremendously helped me to understand my ongoing need for what we, we call uh, sanctification, if you've heard that word. Sanctification is, a, is an essential part of a Christian's salvation. It is the ongoing work of God's Spirit to make us more and more like Christ and to set us apart more and more each and every day. And sanctification is what tells us we believe but we don't. But we are in this process of growing in our faith. And this passage of Scripture is going to help us to understand that. Now, Mark chapter 9, and I was excited to hear Pastor Michael say you're going to be studying Mark's gospel in the fall, I believe. And so you're in store for one of the most powerful books in the Bible. It is so gospel-driven. It's going to help you tremendously. This, this passage is set in the context of, of Jesus' last exorcism, right? Jesus is in the business about proving his power over demons throughout Mark's gospel. And this is the, this is the last one. But the, the primary purpose of Mark 9 is, is not to simply reveal Jesus' greater power over Satan. And it is not, as many people think, uh, an important passage on prayer, although prayer is important in this passage. Basically, what Mark 9 is about is a story that gives us rich insight into ourselves, the fact that we are both believers and unbelievers at the same time, and that we would look to Christ who had always believes perfectly, and that we would do our best to imitate him, right? That's sanctification, growing into Christ-likeness to be like him. So let's pick it up at uh, verse 14. And, and what's happening is Jesus had just had this glorious moment where he climbed up this little mountain and he was with Peter and James and John and he was transfigured. So the reality of his glory was revealed. Like just for a moment, heaven revealed the true glory of the Son of God. And Peter and James and John experienced this, and, and it changed them. And, and then now they're coming back from the mountain. And as they're coming back from the mountain, this is a point where wherever Jesus went, there were crowds. And, and yet when Jesus uh, came up to the crowd, there was a debate going on, all right? So remember, there's an argument that's taking place amongst the crowd, verse 14. 
when they came to the disciples, that would be the rest of Jesus' disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes were disputing with them. And when the whole crowd saw him, that's Jesus, they were amazed and they ran to greet him. And so the story picks up there where now there's another crowd that uh, is surrounding Jesus. His disciples are there. And then there's some skeptics and some doubters are there. The scribes are there. And they're always following Jesus as well. But there's something unique happening concerning a father and a son in verse 16. Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about? And someone from the crowd who is now the father who in many ways is the main character of this story, all right? So keep that in mind. So the father says, teacher, I brought my son to you and he has a spirit. Now that's going to be an evil spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid like this demon empowers this poor innocent child and throws him into sort of an epileptic fit. And the father says, I ask your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Now, actually the disciples had done it before. They had been sent out on mission and they had done miraculous things and they all came back pretty proud of themselves for all the things they had done but now they couldn't do it. And the question obviously is, why? When, when it's obvious that this, this demon is tormenting this, this poor child, and the disciples who had already cast out demons in the past, they simply came up to him and, and they tried to cast him out, but they could not do it. Demons desire the destruction of children. Know that. Always have. There's nothing more that Satan likes than to desecrate anyone who's made in God's image. And we just see another example of this in, in this story. But, but Christ comes along loving the child. Christ has always had a desire to save from those who are suffering. But the disciples, like, he couldn't rid the child of this, of this evil spirit. And, and part of it was because they, they failed to take the necessary time to pray and seek God's help. But we're going to see the real reason why the disciples failed. And it's in verse 19. Jesus replies to them. Now he's talking about the whole crowd, which would include these scribes who are unbelievers, most of the crowd who are unbelievers. But he's also talking to his disciples. Now that would mean you this morning as well. Here's what he says. You unbelieving generation, how long do I have to put up with you? Does that sound like Jesus? You make that a part of your understanding of Jesus. Yes, that's Jesus. You unbelieving generation, how long do I have to put up with you? Bring him to me, he says. Now, Jesus could have said, you unholy generation. He could have said, you unloving generation. He could have said, you, 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 you unkind generation. 
all these, these words that are important to us these days. Why did Jesus say, you unbelieving generation? Why did he say that? Why did he use that word in reference to his own disciples? Well, obviously his disciples were lacking belief. We know that at this point. So let's see what happens. Verse 20. So they brought the boy to him. And now when the spirit, that would be the demon, sees Jesus, he wants to show himself off. And the demon wants to show his power over this child, right? Like, how impressive is that? And he immediately throws the boy into convulsions. He falls to the ground and he's rolling around and he's foaming at the mouth. This helpless, poor, suffering child. And, and Jesus asked the question in verse 21, how long has this been happening to him? That's what Jesus is now is asking the father. All right, now, really pay attention to the father's response, okay? So the father says, from childhood. So as soon as this child could begin to move around, this demon had possessed this child. I mean, how horrible is that? So this has been years where this father has experienced this, this ongoing torment of his son. And he says, in many times, verse 22, it has thrown him into the fire or water to try to destroy him. Why? Demons want to kill and destroy all of those who bear the image of God. Look beyond the politics of things like abortion and in other ways of oppression and then see what Satan is trying to do. He always, always, always wants to rid creation of those who look like God and bear his image. And he's just another demon wanting to desecrate someone who's made in God's image. And so, you know, this father is saying that this has happened time and time again, that this spirit has tried to destroy my son. And now here's, here's the statement that he makes to Jesus. He says, but if, you might want to, Underline or circle that little word if there in your Bible or highlight it on your film. But if you can, can is a word that implies potential. Right? Remember the whole thing about can I go to the bathroom? And no, the right thing is may I go to the bathroom? Of course you can. So can, that little word implies potential. If, Jesus, you have the potential, is what he's asking. If, Jesus, you have the ability, that's the question he's asking, right? That's the question. If you have the ability to do anything, he says, have compassion on us. He's talking about his child and himself because the father has been helpless for years. Nothing he can do to help his child. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You can understand that. Put yourself in the position of this father who's solely responsible for caring for his child. 
And just watching his child suffer time and time again, and watching his child be tormented, watching his child on the verge of death over and over and over. At some point in time, he just, he, he just feels helpless. And so he cries out to, to, to this teacher, whom he obviously has heard, has tremendous ability, and he, he, he asks for help. And he says, if you can, have mercy on us. Have compassion on us. Help us. Now, the next statement that Jesus makes is very important. You might think, well, this is Jesus, kind and gentle Jesus. Of course, he's just going to simply say, yes, I, I will help you. Jesus rebukes him. Jesus actually rebukes the father. Look what he says. Jesus says to him, if you can. You mean if you what do you mean if remember the father's statement if you have the ability to help me please help me and Jesus response was if are you saying if I have the ability then he says everything is possible for the one who does what what's the word <laughs> believes now, there's the key everything is possible for the one who believes. Jesus is rebuking this poor father because he's trying to teach his disciples a lesson. He wasn't just rebuking this poor guy to rebuke him. This is a lesson for you. If you're a disciple of Jesus, this is a lesson for you. Jesus is saying, stop unbelieving, stop disbelieving. Everything that God ordains, desires, and has the ability to do is possible for the one who believes. And, and then the, the father cries out and he, he makes this statement that I think is maybe one of the most honest statements in all of the Bible. All right. That's what the father says. He says to Jesus, I do believe. Then what does he say? What does he say? I do believe, but I don't. I want to believe, but I don't fully believe. I mean, I believe. I believe God can do anything. But in this moment, I need you to help me. I don't believe. I left the baseball game. <laughs> I didn't believe. It's the most honest statement that a person has made in the Bible. I believe, but I don't. And my friend, unless you place yourself right here in the confession of this father, there's no reason for you to continue. Unless you're honest enough to say, that's me. I believe, but there are times that I don't. I believe, he said to Jesus, but then he made the right confession. 
He said, but help me in my unbelief. Help me in those places where I don't believe. Yes, I believe, but when I see my son suffering, I don't believe in that moment. My belief fails in that moment. He said to Jesus, I am this mixture of believing and unbelieving. It is the honest confession of the Christian who is in need of sanctification, and that's you. You are a mixture of believing and not believing every day until you get to heaven. Do you understand that? Does that make sense to you? And, and what you know from this passage is there are times when it's easy to believe, right? And there's times when it's, you feel strong in your faith. There's times when it's easy for you to make your confession of faith and, and believe in God and, and believe in God's word. But there are also times when it's easier not to believe. And there are times when you show that. There are times when you face a crisis of belief. And you then end up like this poor father where you recognize, I believe, but I don't. And, 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 and you need help. There are times when you doubt. There are times when you question. And there are times when, when your unbelief cripples your faith. Now, I just want, if this is an encouragement to you, I want you to know this is a part of Christianity. Being crippled by doubt is a part of going through the discipleship process. It's a part of our sanctification. What this father is experiencing is telltale to what all of us experience and what we need to experience in order for us to be helped in our faith and to grow in our faith. McKay and I came to our church. It was 1999. And uh, young church, small church, meeting in elementary school, we understand this. We didn't have the chairs that you have. <laughs> we had elementary school chairs. It was, it was horrible. And um, lots to do, lots of challenges, um, some immediate uh, struggles in ministry. And we were told that our oldest son was dying and needed an, an immediate stem cell transplant. And he, he didn't have one. And um, we had no idea how we could afford it. Insurance was not being cooperative. And, and we were facing the reality of this. And um, I wish I could say to you, as a young pastor, young father, husband, that, that my response to this news was Christ-like, but it wasn't. I mean, my immediate reaction to this is no, no, I don't accept this. I've committed myself to, to being a pastor, to raising my child in the church, and, and in my prayer in that moment, this was my prayer to God. God, are you kidding me? After all of this, after rearranging all of my life, offering myself to you in service, 
and now willing to do this to serve you with my life you're, you're going to take my child I said no absolutely not I did not believe I was struggling in believing it and trying to understand God what are you doing and, and, and I, I confess that to my wife. I confess that to my closest friend. I said, no, if this is what I'm out, if this is what it means. And, and God had to work out in me what I had said when I dedicated my child, right? The important yet you don't fully understand what you're doing when you have a little baby and you go to church and you dedicate your child and you're like making all these promises. And I'm like, yeah, right. I had done that. I believed that I had given my child to God, but I didn't believe. Because now was the time where he was maybe going to take him. And, and so my prayers changed for months. God, I believe, but I don't. God, help my unbelief. And, and through that, God was working out something in me that needed to be worked out, obviously, where I had to lose my 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 sense of my, my my sense of independence, and I had to lose my 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 sense of of control over my family. I, I had to give up so many things until I got to the point, and it wasn't easy. I battled with my own sin. I had to get to the point where I said, okay, God, yes, okay. I committed him to you, but now, now I really do. He's yours, take him. I had to help, I had to ask help for my unbelief. And, and, and whether it's something like this or a dozen other things if you haven't gone through this crisis of, of faith yet or this crisis of belief yet, you're going to. And, 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 and probably there are gonna be multiple times where you're gonna find yourself, if you're honest, right here in the context of this father where you would say, I, I believe God, but I don't. Help my unbelief. And it's because of this that I, I'm convinced that it is what we believe that is the foundation of who we are. Now, I don't have hours to unpack this. I wish I did. There's a, there's a lot of ways that people think about what, what makes us. It's a big discussion these days. What makes up a person? And what is at the foundation of a person? I've come to the point where I believe that at the deepest part of us is what we believe. I think that's what separates a person's soul from his or her brain. That's what separates us. I don't, I don't think it's, it's what you think you are. No, I think it's what you believe you are. And in this moment, you are defined by the sum total of what you believe and what you don't or you are defined by the sum total of what you believe rightly and, and what you believe that is wrong. That's who you are. And, and your beliefs then, 
which are that that are are, are those things that 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 generate your values and they, they generate your desires. And, and then your values and your desires, they generate your thoughts. And your thoughts generate your feelings and they generate your actions. That's how important this is. What you be believe is it eventually is what you will think, feel, and do. And if you will just look to any person, anywhere, if you're, please, building relationships with non-Christians, don't get mad at them. As you're having a conversation with anyone, put this equation in mind. Why do you feel and, and do this? Why do you think this? It's because you believe this. What a person believes is what generates their desires, their values, their thoughts, their feelings, and their actions. Because guess what? If we all believed exactly like Jesus, where, what would it be? It would be heaven. And one day we'll be there. One day we will all believe perfectly and we'll all have the perfect values and desires, thoughts, <laughs> and feelings, and actions. But that's not today, is it? So, so part part of, of, of what we do as Christians, right, for ourselves and within our church, and obviously as we're sharing the good news with others and evangelizing others, is we, we just get right down to the matter of what do you believe and why? And why? And, and, and you have to understand that, that this really becomes the essence of, of what the gospel talks about. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and what? And believe and believe that he was resurrected you're saved it's always a matter of belief that's where we begin Abraham what believed and God declared him to be righteous the essence of our salvation our justification is on believing rightly we, we as, as Christians, we, we have this tradition where we make these confessions of faith. The Apostles' Creed says what? I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I, I, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. That, that's been our tradition. We, we, we gather and we say, we believe. And what I'm asking you to do then is not only to say we believe, but I'm asking you to add to that and help our unbelief. God, help me when I don't. To believe rightly will lead for you to think rightly. It will eventually allow you to bear this glorious fruit of God's spirit. And then honestly, that's your test. Just examine your life. If your life is exemplified by the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control, 
If, if that really identifies you, then you are believing rightly. But guess what? If that's not, if you examine your life and say, I am not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, or at least not like I should, I guarantee you there's some unbelief there. There are some lies that you have adopted in your soul and mixed in with some truth. It's not only easy to do, friends. We do it all the time. It's a part of that which defines us. And, and, and so now, if I'm believing rightly about this, then I would also say that unbelief is the root of every sin. At the root of every sin is unbelief. And there's lots of sins to sin. But if you peel the sin back from the, the sinful emotion or the sinful behavior or the sinful thought or the sinful desire or the sinful value, it all comes from unbelief. Don't be mad at, at unbelievers. Pray for them. Don't be surprised when unbelievers act like unbelievers. In, in, in this campus where there are so many bright and intelligent students and, and professors, don't, don't be amazed when you go, how can you believe this? Rather say, wow, you're just revealing your unbelief. It's why you feel the way you feel about this. It's why you value what you value about. It's just simply because you don't believe. Or you have decided to believe that which is not true. Whenever you believe in that which is not true, it will burn you. It's like creating your own golden calf and believing that's your God. What's gonna happen? You really believe that golden calf is your God. You really believe that idol is your God. You're in trouble, that's gonna burn you. That's how it works. The, 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 the root of sin is by unbelief or believing that which is not true. Doubt, worry, anger, lust, all of these things result from simply disbelief. Okay, let's get to the good part of the story here. Verse 25, Jesus sees the crowd and um, everybody's around him, gathered around him. And anyhow, he just addresses this unclean spirit. And he says, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. So just once again, Jesus is going to reveal his power and his authority. He, he is going to reveal why he's, he's greater than, than Satan and, and demons. He's, he, he gives us another reason to believe in him for our life. And, and so he reveals his power. And it came out shrieking and throwing him in terrible convulsions. And the boy, once the demon was gone, just like fell down like a corpse. And everybody thought he was dead. He's probably finally just resting. But Jesus takes him by the hand and raises him and he stands up. And that's it. As far as the crowd goes, the father takes his son who'll never have to be possessed by a demon again. And off they go. We don't, we don't know what the story is. I hope, hope that we see them both in heaven. But... But later on, the disciples were always good about this. They always said, all right, Jesus, what, what really happened? What was this about? And so later, back in the house, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we drive him out? And he said, well, look, 
sometimes these demons can only be driven out by prayer. But in the context, basically saying this, guys, you, you should have been praying to God. You should have been believing. You should have been realizing, you know the power to do this. You should have been saying, help me now in this moment. And so, so Jesus, he just, he's just contrasting again the difference between himself and the disciples who doubted. By the way, prayer sometimes is all we have. But in those moments, remind yourself of this passage of Scripture. Because when prayer is all you have, prayer is all you need. Because remember who you're praying to. When prayer is all you have, prayer is all you need. And now I want you to look to Jesus. And in that moment, he, like always, he believed perfectly. There's no doubts. Remember when Satan guided Jesus out into the wilderness 40 days and, and now it's just he and Satan and Satan was going to tempt Jesus and he tempted him and Jesus refused to be tempted and again and, and he refused. And, and then uh, Satan, he, he said to Jesus, he said, basically he said, Jesus, look, I'm going to make you an offer. You don't have to die on a cross. You don't have to bear sin. Just bow to me. I'll make you the king. You'll be the kingdom of this world. You came to be a king. I'll give you the whole thing. Just bow to me. Jesus knew he had to face the cross. Jesus knew he had to suffer. Jesus knew he had to bear sin. And now when faced with this temptation, yeah, that would have been a crisis for belief for me. <laughs> Jesus said no. You can only worship the Lord your God. He always, he always believes rightly. And with Jesus, you see, because he always believes rightly and perfectly, that's what generates his values. That's what generates his desires. That's what generates his thoughts. That's what generates his, his affections and his behaviors. And so, again, we just... We're in a process, friends, but we, we've got to, to work to conform ourselves to the image of Christ. The next time you're struggling with doubt or depression, what do you do? You pray. And you say honestly, God, I believe what I don't right now in this moment. I pray this all the time. When, when, when you're tempted, if you're single, Married, you're tempted with lust, tempted with sexual desire, pray. You say, God, I believe, but I don't right now. Help my own belief. You have an anger problem? Pray. God, things are not going right now the way I want them to go, but I know I'm, I'm not in charge. Help my own belief. There's a hundred times and a hundred ways and a hundred reasons why you should incorporate this prayer into your everyday life. And remember that when you pray this, pray this believing, God will help your unbelief. And then just remind yourself, what is it that I believe? Just go back to the basics.
When I'm praying and I'm struggling with unbelief, I go back and say, okay, let me remind myself what I do believe. God, I believe you're real. I believe your son is my savior. I believe your word is true. I believe your spirit indwells me. I believe I'm a sinner, but I also believe in grace. And then I begin to grow. I begin to realize, you know what? I can, I can overcome this, this depression. I can overcome this anger. I can, I can overcome this temptation. God, help me. Help my unbelief. Remember, Jesus said this. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe. One of the most important statements he said to his disciples before he left. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. He said, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do when I go to the Father. And those promises are for you today if you're in Christ. Listen, if you're not a Christian, here's the truth. You are the sum total of what you believe. And I would have you consider, are you believing that which is right? Especially, have you been believing that which is true and right about Jesus Christ? Now, if you are a Christian, here's, here's the challenging news. You are yet to believe in Jesus as much as you need to. And in the power of God as you need to. But the good news is there's there's still sanctification that take place. You just need to go to God on a regular basis and say, God, help me and help my unbelief. And friends, he will. Let's pray.